Our Father, who art in heaven, Almighty God, revered, consecrated, holy, venerated, hallowed be thy name. You have been faithful. Great is your faithfulness. Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. Cleanse us. Heal us. Enable us to hear and to see and to magnify you today with clean hands and pure hearts so that we might give you and you alone the glory that you so rightly deserve. These things, Father, we ask in Jesus' name, your Son and our Savior. And all of God's children said, Amen. Amen. Good morning to all. I wish, therefore, for you today the enablement by the Spirit to live this Christian life in a manner that is pleasing to God. In other words, I wish for you grace. I also wish for you the fruit of grace, which is the peace of God from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The media loves this unity. The media loves contention and strife. I heard recently that I think if you tune into the U.S. news, you would hear about what's happening in government there, the defunding of the Obamacare, and so on the news you would hear that being uh, put forward or portrayed as the headline on many of the U.S. stations. If you listen to the Bahamas news in recent days, you have heard the disunity and the diverse or contention between the Ministry of Education and the BUT. I say again that the media loves strife and contention. If things are peaceful, they probably won't be able to sell the papers or you won't probably listen to the news. And yet, sadly, there's also disunity and contention in the church, in the body of Christ. We are as strong, you've heard, as the weakest link. I remember when I was a little shorter than I am. We used to play a game as children called, it was a ring game, the cat and the mouse. Anybody young, tall enough to remember that? Yeah. And there was usually, depending on how you play, how you start the game, but everybody in the game, you held hands and you made a circle. Somebody was designated to be the cat, and the other person was designated to be the mouse or the rat. 
Then, of course, the challenge was for the cat to catch the rat. It depends on the people who are holding their hands because they can choose which side they're on at will. But the cat was supposed to catch the rat, and of course, once you're tied, it's a tie game. The cat is running around. You are supposed to not let the cat in, assuming that the ring was made up of all rats. <laughs> But some of those rats jumped ship and became cats, because some of them depends on the size of the cat. When the cat is running towards where your hands were joined, they would lose hand so that the cat had free access to the rat. Some people determined then that if you played the game long enough and you're watching who's holding hands, which one seemed to be the weakest link. You always run to get in or to get out based on where that link was. So the weakest link was either could be the detriment of the rat or the mouse. Today, I want to invite you to look with me at this topic, the urgent necessity of unity, the urgent necessity, deliberately chosen words, urgent necessity of unity. Imagine, if you please, suppose everybody That is both your parents and your siblings, your mate, all your cousin them and your uncle them. Everybody, even the person directly in front of you or beside you. Worst of all, imagine the speaker <laughs> looked and sounded and acted exactly like you. If that was a possibility, or if that was to take place. Would you then have unity in this church today? I submit to you, not really. Not if we have Christian porcupines in the pews. Now, since I have never seen any of them in real life while growing up on Andros, I confess that my knowledge of the porcupine. Is totally dependent on what others have written or have shown concerning this particular animal. And scientifically speaking, they are relatives or cousins, families to the rats. But with a coat mixed with hair, they have sharp quills or spines that they use to defend themselves against predators. I'm told that most porcupines are between 25 to 36 inches in length, with a tail of about 8 to 10 inches. Porcupines, I understand, also come in various shades of brown, gray, and the unusual white. Porcupines derive its name from Middle French, sometime between the 13, uh, 1340 to. About 1611, which means spined pig. One who rises up in anger is another definition or meaning. Have you ever seen a dog? Ever seen? How do you know when a dog is angry? Other than a growl. You, you hear him? Have you ever seen an angry pig? 
Uh, you don't know. Have you ever seen any animal that seemed to be irritated or angry? They, they said the hair raised up on the, on the back of the neck. Uh, you, I, I said an animal, I mean a human. <laughs> Some people say that they can feel the hair when you get angry. Some those who have hair on the back of the neck say, you're making a hair on my neck. Or when you are afraid, some people say, I feel my hair on my neck. And these are people with no hair on their neck, by the way. But they still feel something rising on the back of their neck. Approximately some 50 miles west of Athens, located on a large isthmus, was an important cosmopolitan Greek city called Corinth. In it, sin abounded. Degradation, immorality, and hidden customs flourished. Yet, in the midst of this city, there was a remnant, the body of Christ, the Corinthian church. Their charter members, and there were nine groupings, their charter members were former swindlers, adulterers, fornicators, idolaters, effeminates, homosexuals, thieves, drunkards, and revilers. It is this group of people that Paul writes his letter, this epistle, firstly to this group, but then also, secondly, to the believers at Calvary Bible Church. And I say that because in the text it says to believers everywhere. And I believe we have some believers here. I believe that one of the greatest miracles of God is how we are all similar. One nose, two ears, three chins for some. Four eyes, four some, all similar, and yet at the same time, physiologically, physically, we are different. For this to happen, it must be the creation of God, for only God can make such infinite varieties. God also has spiritual individuals or children. Then they or we differ in degree of our fellowship with God. And even though when we were our first place faith in Christ alone, by faith alone, we became his children. And yet, we are different. And so, to those who are here this morning, I, I really want to focus my thought to those who are children of God, but I don't want those who might be here this morning who have not yet placed faith alone in Christ alone to please take advantage of that opportunity to do so even now. You, if you were tuned into what has been sung already about God's faithfulness and his love for you, I can't see how you would walk away from this experience not recognizing your own sinfulness and at the same time not recognizing the awesome love to which Christ has demonstrated his love for you, coming and dying for you, so that you, almost as an exchange life, him taking on your sins so that you can have eternal life. And so I invite you to give that serious thought even now and accept the gift of God, Jesus Christ, as your Savior.
And so my approach today is to be very methodical, expositional, and slow, but quick, as we go through a particular passage this morning. And so I invite you to join me as we take this guided tour through four verses. I originally wanted to do eight, but I don't think I'm going to get there before eight this evening. So I'm asking you to please turn in your Bibles to Calvary Bible Church, chapter 1. I'm sorry, that's 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. I would have begun by reading verse 10, where I want us to begin, really, but I want to read verse 11 first, then I'm going to moonwalk backwards up to verse 10 and then come back down to verse 12. Maybe I'll get through 13 before I read your posture and determine that it's best I stop. But let's start at verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. Paul is the author of this, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthian believers in Corinth. I'm reading again and from, for today's message, the New King James Version. I just like the poetry of this section here, and so if your own version is different, um, please understand that I am reading from, and then I, it's on the screen, the 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. For it has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Hmm. Let's pause and let's go back here. I'm going to take Chloe out of this and maybe say something else. For it has been declared unto me, in other words, I've heard, my brethren, my brothers and sisters, which are here at Calvary Bible Church, that there are contentions. Contentions some uncertainty, some uncertain affinity, some wrangling, some quarreling, some strife, some variance. In other words, what's the word on the street? What are they saying about Calvary Bible Church? Let me interject here. I have, most would know I have, in recent weeks, been reassigned in my secular work. And last week now, two weeks ago, Tuesday, I met with the staff, and the staff member asked me, what have you heard about us here in this building? In other words, they asked me, what is the word on the street about this building? I said, the word on the street is, everybody here are the rejects in the Middle Ministry of Education. The senior person in the room said, well, Mr. Fowler, where does that place you and me? I said very simply, we are chief rejects. <laughs> What's the word on the street with Calvary Bible Church? Listen to what Paul is saying here to the believers at Corinth. Somebody, some people from Chloe's house said that the church back there at Corinth there were some contentions going on. In other words, within the body of Christ, 
there was some fighting, some quarreling, some wrangling. People were saying some things in the church among themselves that was not very complimentary. It did not make the body of Christ look good. And Paul makes that statement in verse 11. Now let's go back up to verse 10 and listen and look very slowly, carefully at what he says. Now I beseech. Now beseech is not a word we use every day, but it's in your version. I'm sure you have a reference there that talks about maybe exhort. But I beseech means to come near to invite by imploration, exhortation, or consolation. It means to appeal or to beg, to urge, to entreat you, my brethren, by the name or the authority or character of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak, that you all put forth, that you all agree, you all put out the same message. What vibe are you individually putting out there? Who are you talking to? And when you talk to who you talk to, what are you saying? Is it complementary of Calvary, the body of Christ, not this building, the body of Christ? I told you once upon a time about visiting a funeral on a certain street in Chippingham, and the, I stepped outside, and I'm not sure why, but there was a lady outside who was a part of the choir, and the choir director was conducting the choir. They were singing of that particular church, but she was outside, and the people who probably drove the, the cars because, you know, some people, the hearse, not the hearse, the other, the limousine, that's, that's the word. Yeah, the limousine, they were standing outside, you know, not engaged in what was taking place in the church, and she was upset with the choir director for some reason, and I'm just there, a total stranger, along with some other people who were total strangers and had no interest in the choir or the choir director, but this particular either current or former member of the choir just determined or decided that I'm just going to get it off my chest. But it came out through her mouth. All right? And she said some things that were negative about the choir director. Say, look at her up there. Hmm. Then she went on with some other stuff. At that time, I determined, yes, I, now I remember why I was outside. I had another event to go to, and they were pretty long with their funeral. And so somebody's blocking my vehicle, so I stepped outside and I couldn't move, so I stood on the step for a while. And then fortunately, the person who was blocking me moved, and so I moved. But while I was there, this person was just letting out things that were not complimentary about the body of Christ in her particular church. And here we have in Corinth, this was happening a long time, it is still happening in 2013. As a matter of fact, let's be more specific. It's probably still happening in 2013, September 22nd, you know, at 12 o'clock. Maybe right at Calvary Bible Church. I hope we don't miss the import of the message Paul is writing to the believers at Corinth. Let me read again. My brethren, he says, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak, put forth, put out, agree with the same thing, and that there be no division, no divisions among you. By division, no schemata, no schism, no split, no tear up, no gap, 
no crack among you, but that you be perfectly joined together. Perfectly joined together. It suggests, if I'm asking you to be joined together, it suggests that before you can be joined together, you are probably presently are not joined together. So right now, maybe even in this setting, there are persons who are wearing a mask. If a stranger comes in, and there are strangers among us, who might say, they look so united. But are we? You have to answer that in your heart. That's first between you and God. But it says this, that he expects us to be perfectly joined together, repair, to mend, to restore, to complete thoroughly in the same mind, self-mind, same. So it's almost reflect. We must have the same mind, the same intellect, the same understanding, and in the same judgment. And by judgment, I think cognitively. When I say that, I'm talking about if you look at cognitive, to think cognitively, subjectively, it simply means that your opinions are the same. But also, if I look at it objectively, it means that we have resolved, we have counseled, we have determined, we have purposed, we have willed to be on the same accord. In other words, the church should always be united in faith, the same faith. We should also be united in the same mind, same judgment when it comes to doctrine. We also believe that the same thing should be true when we think about how we think about making judgment. All, in all of these things, love becomes essential. In other words, in all things, let's love. In things of doctrine, there should always be, or the essential things, there should be unity. And the things that are non-essential, let's extend liberty. Again, in all things, love everybody. And the things that are essential, let us be united in it. And the things that are non-essential, let us give liberty. The challenge is, what I consider to be essential, you might consider non-essential. But I say this again, faith should be essential. Doctrine, essential. God says that we should love one another. You know that. But on a practical level, do you practice that? Do you put that into practice? Paul is asking us to do that. Again, the word on the street that Paul got out of Chloe's house was that there were some contentions in the church at Corinth. Let's put the template of Calvary over that. What are we saying at Calvary Bible Church? Peter A. Albinson, in an issue of the National Geographics, included a photograph of a fossil remains of two cyber-toothed cats locked in combat. And to quote the article, and I quote, one had bitten deep into the leg bone of the other, a thrust that trapped both in a common fate. The cause of death of the two cats is as clear as the cause of extinction of their species are so obvious. When Christians fight each other, everybody loses. And as Paul puts it, end of quote, Galatians chapter 5, 
verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed, lest you be consumed by one another. Another topic for or title for that will be cannibalism in the church. When we bite, devour, and have strife among ourselves. Verse 12, having said that, Paul says, Now this, and what is the cause of this strife? Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Paul, Apollos, Cephas, and Christ. The Corinthian church was divided into at least four factions. I wonder if, to what degree or how many factions is Calvary Bible Church divided? I was curious when I read, and I've read this passage many times before, but for the purpose of sharing my thoughts with you today, I wonder why Paul, Apollos, Cephas, and Christ. Four groups, four factions, each having his own emphasis, these four groups. And these were all the persons in the church at Corinth. I did not have the privilege of being here at Calvary Bible Church under the pastorate of the founding pastor, Earl Weech, and I think if I talk to my walking, living historian, brother Jerry Sawyer, then there was Maurice Anderson back in the 1970, I think after the wish would have gone back to the U.S. And then after Pastor Anderson, there was a stint with uh, Pastor J.C.O. Thompson that also uh, was pastoring for a time. And then I understand that David Cole uh, came in. Um, and in between, by the way, Pastor Frederick Arnett in between as well, uh, was involved um, as the, I guess, associate pastor um, for doing a period in the church history. And then after uh, Pastor Cole, then there was Morris Russell. It is during the pastorate of Morris, Morris Russell that my family and I came to Calvary. And then after Morris Russell, then there was Pastor Alan Lee, our immediate past, senior pastor, now emeritus. And I was thinking, out of the four then of our own church history, those who probably would have served longer, the four longer serving pastors of the past would have certainly been Pastor Earl Weish, Pastor David Cole, Morris Russell, and Alan Lee, four. And I was just looking at four to match these four, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, and Christ. But the church here at Corinth, uh, based on what some people from Chloe's house said, that the reason for the contention is that we have these four factions in the church. And so Paul was the first one, and I don't know, I thought to surmise that following its leader, these four persons had their particular favorite leader. Some said, I am for Paul. The other group said, I am an Apollos follower. The next one said, I'm a Peter man. I mean, I'm from Cephas. I'm from Cephas. I'm from Cephas. Or I'm... Remember once this thing that 
Tommy T, I for Tommy. Okay, I mean, anyhow, then there's the next group called I for Christ. And acting antagonistically to one another. First, again, there was those who positioned themselves as followers or adherents of Paul. Now, possibly, I wonder why they chose Paul. Probably because of his emphasis on the ministry to the Gentiles. Possibly, these were the founding members who had developed a strong bond and fellowship with Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, we read these words from Paul. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power and of power. Verse 5. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's Paul's description of himself. Could it be that that group, that faction in the Corinthian church, had that affinity. They just love Paul. Paul is, is their God. But it tells me that there's another group who is in the church causing contention. The Apollos followers. This were the followers of Apollos. Possibly, I wondered why, and could it be that this, sec- this could have been the second generation of the church? They followed because they were enamored, they were impressed, intrigued, by his education and oratory eloquence in rhetoric and in preaching. In Acts, by the way, we see Apollos mentioned in Acts chapter 18, verse 24, when it says, and I quote, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the scripture, end of quote. Could it be that because of this person's character, his eloquence of speaking, uh, he may have attracted a certain group of persons around him who determined that Apollos is our man. We don't do Paul around here. Apollos. When Apollos is speaking, we come in out in large numbers. When Paul is speaking, I'm going to spend time with my family. <laughs> then... <laughs> There were the followers of Cephas, his Aramaic name. Were these possibly persons who were impressed with this renowned apostle's uh, special emphasis to the Jews? This traveling evangelist? This preacher who's always giving the Billy Graham approach message? His message, his ministry towards the lost directly, particularly the Jews? Could it be that there was a faction in Corinth, there who saw that Peter's our guy, you know, he's the lead chief apostle. Yep, we are Peterites. Yep, we are with him. Could that be why this group was polarized around this particular leader? 
Then there was another group, and again, not necessarily group, faction. The other faction, the followers of Christ. Isn't that almost contradictory as a faction within the church? It implied that this group felt that they had some special relationship with Christ. These were the persons who, I guess, who walked around with their nose in the air. Yeah? They were the superior elite in this group. They had no need to be taught by anyone. They are taught by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) No man teach me. I get my teaching directly from Christ. And so they received all, of course, the benefits and the blessings of Christ, but wants no responsibility and no accountability, not to no human leader or man. They will not serve, nor will they submit to any spiritual leadership of the church. In other words, but they are here frequently. As a matter of fact, they are perpetual visitors. Church membership is depreciated, is defunded, <laughs> is decried, is not looked on favorably. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7, 2 Corinthians 10, 7 says, You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. End of quote. In other words, this particular faction who thought that they were it all, you know, they are the super Christian. All other persons didn't qualify, didn't measure, you didn't count. I think his admonition in 2 Corinthians 10.7 is a direct admonition to those persons. Those of you who look at the outward because you think, well, maybe I'm not as spiritual as you are. He says, look, you, you got to watch out. Consider this. If you consider yourself as such, then consider we are equally Christian. I'm told, I don't know the source, but it says that being much concerned about the rise of denomination in the church, John Wesley tells of a dream that he had. And in a dream, he was ushered. They're always getting a chauffeur. When you dream, you always chauffeur? Uh, uh, in a dream, he was ushered to the gates of hell. Wow. And there he asked, Are there any Presbyterians here? A voice came back. Yes, came the answer. Then he asked, are there any Baptists? Are there any Episcopalians? Are there any Methodists? He didn't ask us, I would have asked. Are there anybody from Calvary? But he didn't ask us. The answer always came back, yes. Each time. Of course, this distressed John Wesley very much in his dream. But Wesley was then taken to another place, the gates of heaven. And there he was asked, he asked the same question. And the answer was, no. No Baptist. No Presbyterian here. No Episcopalians. No Methodists. Nobody from Calvary. Bible Church is here. 
This is the gates of heaven now. I wonder who's answering the call there. They must be getting it wrong. This must be a hoax. There, he asked the same question, and the answer was no. No? To this, Wesley asked, well, who then is inside? The answer came back. There are only Christians here. No denominations. Only Christians here. My brothers and sisters, we need to put aside partisan church leadership and Christian fellowship. Partisan Christian fellowship. I only fellowship with a certain group. You know, I only appreciate or come participate when there's a certain leader in place. That does not do the body of Christ good in terms of its image in the world today. I admonish porcupines to keep your quills down. Some people believe that porcupines, you get near them, they will shoot them little quills at you. That don't happen. Porcupines live with other porcupines. You know. By the way, the quills are for people when they are in danger. When predators, predators who travel, they don't like porcupines. Porcupines don't taste good to them. I wonder why. Because porcupines, well, you could figure that. God is so good. He made them, they're not very fast, you know. They're not, they're not very fast. They don't have any defensive man, you know, other than no teeth that could bite you. By the way, humans have said that sometimes in Iraq, you know. Instead of saying, I hit you, some people say, I'll bite you. Did I tell you about the little boy who bite the teacher on a navel? That's the far as he could reach. So, but, but some people use what they have. The porcupine, he has the quills, so what he does is he just flex them out or contract those muscles. And so if the animal or his predator was about to eat, that's not going to be very comfortable. So that for him is his def- defensive mechanism. But for us, in the church, this is be home. This is where we come together each week. This is what we call family reunion on a weekly basis. This is where the family comes together to do what? So we can praise our Father every week together. And it wouldn't be a tragedy, wouldn't it be a tragedy if when the family come together, the family start fighting? You know, and some people fight silently. It's amazing. You know, you come together and we focus on one thing. That is to praise, to worship, the glory of God. And so I invite all porcupines to keep your quills down. We should not see each other as the enemy or as the predator. Instead, let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. Not on men. Men who at their best have feet of clay. In other words, we will fail you. At some time or another, we will fail you. We will not live up to your expectation. As a matter of fact, we don't even live up to our own expectation. I mean, if you ever got mad with yourself. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes you rob yourself. I believe some people even slap themselves, all right? You know, but so, so you even can't trust yourself, and yet you raise or you place an expectation on other persons. That is a myth. Don't do that. Keep your eyes on Christ. And even when we as humans, on our best day, when we do something that is good, it is only because of the grace of God. It's still in us. 
So don't put all your egg in us. Place it, your faith absolutely, exclusively in Jesus Christ. He will never fail you. He will never fail you. So keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, not on man. It is Christ alone. Isn't it true? Isn't it Christ alone who has fulfilled the law on your behalf? Isn't it true that he is the one that has died for us? He's the one that bore our sins on the cross. Wasn't he the one that has been taken down from the cross and laid in a buried tomb? Not me, not any other human being. Isn't he the one that was raised from the dead on the third day and ascended on to be at the right hand of God the Father? Doesn't he deserve to be the one who is your focus, your attention? He is the author and the perfecter of your faith. Not me, not any other human, not Pastor Lee, not anybody else after and before, not David Cole, not Maurice Russell, not Earl Weish, or anybody in between. It is the Redeemer Christ himself. He is your Redeemer, your Reconciler. He is your Savior. He is the one on whose name we should all call. Let me conclude with verse 13. 1 Corinthians 1.13 says this. Paul says, is Christ, he asks three questions. And these are amazing questions. These make you upset. He asks this, is Christ divided? Just listen to the words. Is Christ divided? Meaning, is Christ apportioned, parted, shared? Is he disunited? Is he distributed in parts? That's almost offensive. Isn't this the height of, I think, impropriety? It's rude. It's even indecent if you understand the gospel, if you understand the person of Christ. It is in bad taste even to suggest it. Is Christ divided? And there you ask this other question. Was Paul crucified? The person, what are you arguing about? Why the source of your contention? Is Christ, since Christ is not divided, Paul, was, was Paul crucified for you or any other human entity? Was, was, who was impaled on the cross for you? Who was, whose life was extinguished for you so that your sins can be forgiven? There's only one person. That's Jesus Christ. Or, he asks this other question, or were you baptized? Were there absolution? Were you pardoned? Forgiven, washed in the name of Paul? The answer we know comes back a rhetorical. No. Paul, no. By the way, if you read the rest now, just for the sake of time, Paul goes on and says, I didn't baptize nobody. In other words, he says, nobody was baptized in my name or with, under my authority. You're baptized in the name of Christ, not me. And so I conclude with the words of Paul, and I believe that this is the cure for disunity in the church. The cure for disunity in the church. I conclude with the words of Paul that he has written them to the believers in Ephesus. And so Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. Listen carefully as I read slowly the words that Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling 
to which you have been called. And so I ask again, Calvary Bible Church, the incredible body of Christ here at Calvary Bible Church, I ask you, as a fellow servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, to walk worthy of the manner of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, with forbearing, with one another in love. That's how you do it, in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And if you read the verse 4 through 6, it tells you and reminds us that there is only one body. There is one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith. There is one baptism. There is one God and Father over all, through all, and in all. In other words, there is only we have one foundation. There should be, there must be unity in the church if we are to express and demonstrate to the world the power of the gospel. There are two ways you can be united, at least two. You can be frozen together, or you could be melted together in love. I chose my desire, my hope is that we would choose the latter, that we would allow love to melt any wall of contention. And let's focus exclusively on Christ. And in that way, we will not give the devil a foothold. Because when we do so, then he brings his media team and we lessen the power of God in our midst. Amen? Let us pray. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the clarity of your message and your written word as to how we are to display and to represent you as ambassadors in the world, but more so when the body of Christ is gathered, the church. Lord, I pray for each of these fellow brothers and sisters here today as I pray for myself, that you will cause any source or cause for disunity to be done away with so that we can truly experience your love, your power, and be conduits of the good news to the world. These things, Father, we ask in your precious Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.